This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's bring together the weekly news panel by welcoming into the show Joita Gupta and Michelle McQuig. Hey, good morning, Joita. Good morning, Dave. How's it going? Not too shabby. And Michelle, good morning to you as well. Good morning, friends. Good to be back. Let's start in the world of politics and we'll begin abroad for some political troubles in Britain. Former Prime Minister Liz Truss was ousted from the job after just 45 days in office. Truss reflected on her time as PM. It has been a huge honour to be Prime Minister of this great country, in particular to lead the nation in mourning the death of Her Late Majesty the Queen after 70 years of service and welcoming the accession of His Majesty King Charles III. New Prime Minister Rishi Sunak acknowledged how rocky the last few months have been. Some mistakes were made, not born of ill will or bad intentions. Quite the opposite, in fact, but mistakes nonetheless. And I have been elected as leader of my party and your Prime Minister, in part, to fix them. Sunak pledged to rebuild trust in the government. This government will have integrity, professionalism and accountability at every level. Trust is earned and I will earn yours. Every time we play Sound Out of England, I love there's just a bramble of people protesting. It's, it's a rowdy bunch over there in Britain. Okay. There's a lot of heckling in the background. Yeah, yeah. just a little bit of heckling, totally. you know? A, a, just a drone of discontent. A, a, just, oh, that's so good. That's, po- that's poetry right there by Michelle McQuinn. That's pre-coffee. I'm no, on well, fire. Well done. Okay. Well done. Okay, so guys, to say that Liz Truss made some political blunders on the way is Fair, particularly around economic policy. Uh, some folks, even conservatives in the UK, were calling it uh, libertarian experimentalism with the national economy. And uh, that that didn't go over super, super well. No. But do you think the blunders were enough to topple her in less than two months? Michelle, did Liz Truss get a fair shake? You know what? I feel like she did it in a sense. And I, I'm going to preface all of this by saying that my my knowledge of British politics is limited to what reading I can do. So this is not a file I live and breathe like I do with Canadian mm-hmm, politics. Mm-hmm. But from what I understand, A, there were cautions sounded about Liz Truss's economic plan long before she assumed power. She ran her campaign on it and then she delivered on her promises. So that in and of itself is kind of refreshing and kind of noteworthy, I would say. Mm-hmm. But there were lots and lots of red flags in the run up to this. And so it's not like she sprung a surprise on anyone. She did enact policies that elicited strong, strong warnings, including from Rishi Sunak, who has a fair bit of credibility in financial markets and, and a strong economic background. Um, so the experts were sounding cautions. She went ahead anyway. The markets reacted as as was foretold by the experts. And that is a very significant exposure that she 
left for her country. Causing, being the direct cause of economic turmoil, I don't think is something that a lot of politicians are able to walk away from. Certainly she was not. Um, It happened faster than I would have expected, I would say, but I do think she was given a fair shake. She was a known entity. She was a very high-profile minister in Boris Johnson's government. People knew what they were getting into. She did deliver what was promised. The reaction spooled out according to predictions. That's all fair game for me. I have a mea culpa coming in just a moment here, but I want to give Joy to the same opportunity to answer uh, the, the broader question of did Liz Truss get a fair shake? And I think it really depends on who you ask. Uh, but again, bear in mind, she had the shortest term in UK history. And um, although she received a lot of support from the rank and file of her party, she did not receive a lot of support from the caucus which had always been behind Rishi Sunak. And I think that's an important consideration because um, if you don't have caucus behind you to start with, then the caucus can really be instrumental in causing problems for you as a leader because they just can't get behind you. And it's true, just to pick up on what Michelle was saying, that she has had a lot of prior experience, um, has had many years uh, in cabinet, uh, has held many high-profile roles. But I was reading some articles in the CNBC uh, where someone, where uh, you know, there were some people who were quoted who basically said, you know, Liz Truss was just kind of weird. Uh, she was a bit of a loner, <laughs> uh, which is not something you typically hear about a politician, but one gets the sense that she might have been experienced but not well-liked by her colleagues. And that's not an insignificant thing when you consider that uh, her economic policies have been so disastrous in their implementation that even you know that she kind of got the short shrift because she didn't really um, have the, the goodwill of her caucus colleagues to back her up in that situation. So um, I think it's really important to look at what happened with her. Uh, initially, uh, once it became clear that the, the pound uh, was starting to be was devalued versus the dollar and, and the markets were starting to collapse and there were all of these problems that flowed from her, her, uh, her mini budget, uh, the first thing she flipped around and did was sack her chancellor. And at that point, a lot of people who, as Michelle said, you know, this was her economic policy. Mm-hmm. She'd been very up and mm-hmm. front about it. A lot of people said, OK, but you're clearly trying to shift the blame here. When are you going to resign? And then, of course, the next person in, the new chancellor, turned around and did a 180, reversed everything. And again, there were questions raised about whether she had actually lost control of the whole situation. It's a massively humiliating situation to come right out swinging and say, this is my economic policy, and then have to reverse course. Um, And of course, we can quibble about whether she might have lasted a bit longer or, you know, um, and and things like that. But the bottom line is, this is a clear case of self-inflicted wounds, uh, you know, as, where a politician didn't really consider the implications of their economic policy before rolling it out. It was the 1980-esque Reaganism, Thatcherism, and we can sit here and debate about whether those policies were successful back in the 80s, but post-COVID-19, two years of economic hardship, it just wasn't going to fly, and I think she paid the price for that. Not that I'm trying to bait you guys, but I've really been waiting all week for some commentators to come out with the sexism card. And really, nobody took the bait. And I'm, and I'm curious why nobody has taken that. Not you guys. When I say nobody, I'm just curious why people more broadly haven't brought that conversation into this. That, you know, George W. Bush ran the American economy into the ground, and he's, like, having a huge renaissance 10 years later. She might have a huge renaissance 10 years later. You never know. Yes. It, it, yeah. <laughs> if, if In a world where Boris Johnson very nearly reclaimed his job, 
Yeah. Less than three months after losing it. Yeah, anything is possible. But I do think there's... Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to bite, Dave, but I'm going to think about this. I I wasn't trying to make you guys bite. I just want to be maybe the first person in media to actually raise this because people did that with Lisa LaFlamme in like two minutes. They were like, sexism. And nobody's been there for Liz Truss. And I wonder if it has something to do with where her politics align with the people who would bang the sexism drum. And I want to talk about economics for one second here. Because, yes, within a couple of weeks, her economic policy proved to be catastrophic. I would also tell you that anytime we're talking about a different or non-systemic mainstream political economic ideology... I don't think two weeks is enough sample size to truly evaluate it. But in times of overall economic crisis, we don't want to be experimenting. But I would also suggest that anybody who wants to try something different economically should get more than two weeks to try and implement their economic policy. I would also argue, though, that it behooves a leader to listen to good advice. And yes, she did not do that. <laughs> that is absolutely the case. hundred percent. OK, here's my mea culpa, even though what I just said is probably going to force me to mea culpa in a couple more weeks anyway. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Alberta Premier Danielle Smith, and I somewhat took up the defense of Danielle Smith, not what she was saying, but the fact that she was trying to rile up her base and lean into her base. And there are no political consequences for simply leaning into your base and riling people up. Well, I seem to have standed corrected uh, within about (laughs) 10 days because to me, this strikes me as absolutely an element of political consequences of your rhetoric leaning too far into your base. Michelle? I would absolutely agree with that. And And I will go as far as to say that I think it's early days to say whether or not Danielle Smith will face consequences. Uh, she is forging ahead also with a pretty divisive agenda. Uh, she is sticking to her roots and the, and the platform to on which she got elected so far anyway. Um, I, I foresee some interesting times in Alberta and I kind of welcome the notion of, of having of political accountability. Yeah. Since yeah. it seems like something that kind of got lost in the shuffle somewhere along the way. <laughs> somewhere for um, sure. Not always true, uh, but certainly we've seen a lot of um, a lot of governments in recent years have enacted policies that proved very divisive on the COVID front, among many, many, many others, and most of them survived, despite having formidable opposition uh, in terms of popular uh, unpopularity. Sometimes even strong, worthy political foes to run against them. Not always. Um, but in an era where that seems to have, where a lot of policies have gone unchallenged and governments that some people felt should be held to account uh, survived those challenges against them, uh, it's kind of refreshing in a way <laughs> to see a bit of a, a pushback against some of that. Juita, will you accept my mea culpa? And, and does this feel a little bit refreshing to a certain degree to see actual political consequences for poor policy and bad messaging? Uh, yeah, I think to a point for sure, uh, she's faced, she's obviously dealt with the consequences of poorly thought out economic policy more than anything else. And and I think I said this before, and I'll say it again, clearly, she pandered to her base and got elected on that basis. But that support did not extend to the party caucus. And I kind of keep coming back to this, because even we, we saw this even with Boris Johnson, with members of the caucus stepping down, it's, it's a massively... Uh, it's deeply problematic for the prime minister or for a leadership, uh, for anyone in a leadership position not to have the support of their caucus behind them. And clearly those policies did not 
resonate with the rest of the country either. Mm. Um, one of the things to keep in mind with Liz Trust is she never really had a popular mandate. And I think that might be one of the reasons mm. why uh, other parties have been able to survive where she did not. There was never an election. Um, people didn't, you know, get a chance to vote for her. Uh, people in her party got to vote for her. Right. But the general populace right. never really had a chance to mark a ballot. And that is a significant um that's significant because I think some of the sure policies is. that she that she that ends up rolling out in the UK are so different from what the Tories were elected on that this that there was you know they did, they couldn't did a U-turn almost or they had these very extreme uh, political policies brought in without a political mandate or a, or a mandate to govern from the general population. I think that might have been one of the reasons why she met with such a swift demise. Uh, so. Really, she, the bottom line is she lent very heavily into her base. She's not alone in doing that, but she did not have parliamentary support and she did not have popular support to back that up. So we can see that, at least if you want to think about future implications for other leaders like Danielle Smith in, in Alberta, we see that at least from her example, pandering to your base might get you elected to the leader's office, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to stay there. Mm. So, you know, that's, that's the, the bottom line with that one. Michelle? I just want to say, Joita, I'm glad you latched on to that lack of election issue, because I think that's an interesting element of this conversation. And I will note that there is a parallel between Liz Truss and Danielle Smith on those grounds. Danielle Smith was appointed by the by the party membership that she was not uh, voted premier as part of a general election. Uh, so that's another parallel that I hadn't actually considered and that I'll be watching with extra mm. interest in light of all this. I want to wrap this up with a really easy question, guys. Super, super easy. Um, there have been pretty significant protests over the economy in Europe over the last few weeks. Of course, we've had a couple doozies in Canada as well that resulted in an Emergencies Act being declared to end those protests. We've seen people like Jason Kenney get ousted in Alberta by his own party. We're talking about a democracy in the United States in a couple of weeks that's going through a midterm election where there are already people uh, sounding the alarm about, the, about what the outcome might mean for the future of democracy. Joita, is democracy getting really hard? Uh, no, it's not, Dave. And the reason I say that is because democracy always gets harder when times are tough. Exactly. If you look at the 1930s and the years following the Great Depression and the lead up to the Second World War, we see the collapse of the Weimar Republic in Germany. Democracy struggled in all over Europe and North America. So whenever you have tough economic times and we've had the coronavirus again, which threw everything off kilter, it's made democracy that much harder. Uh, because what happens when you have tough economic times uh, or just tough times in general is populist sentiment gains ground and, you know, um, quick fixes in terms of economic policies gain ground. But we find that the resulting public policies aren't very practical and can sometimes even be dangerous. So democracy is always hard when times get tough. I like I like that. That's a great answer to that question. Michelle, you affirmed with Joita on that one, but I wonder if you want to elaborate. I would only extend it and say I, democracy is hard not only when times are tough, but always. I think that's it's never it's always a bit of a thankless task to, to be the leader of a democratically elected government. Um, democracy itself is an imperfect form of voting, but uh, as I think we've even quoted on the show before, it's deemed to be better than all the others. So it's not easy by default. And I think uh, I, I agree with Joey that things may get perhaps more difficult in, in tough economic times, but I would argue that it's never a simple task. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, thank you for going abroad with me for this political conversation. 
Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.